I have a dream for this church. My dream for this church is that this would be the kind of church that is becomes established, becomes strengthened with elders and deacons and holy men in the ministry. And that people are truly discipled here to follow the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then from this church, we can establish ministers of the gospel and other men to go out and not just maintain this community, but go out throughout the Hudson Valley, strengthening, becoming part of, or even planting other strong churches, because there are so many churches in this area, but there are so many weak churches in this area. Unfounded, unestablished churches. Perhaps even well-meaning churches, but suffering for lack of knowledge and full commitment. So my dream for this church is that it would be an outpost for the gospel. An outpost for men to be trained and built up and sent out. That's my dream. And I think that is at the heartbeat of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. Where else are disciples made? but in healthy churches. So the past two sermons I've been preaching, well, the last week and today, are important for establishing a healthy church. And again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, the word establish means to bring to a firm and stable basis. And right now as a church, we're planted, but we're not yet at a firm and stable basis according to Scripture. And I would by God's strength and his power and his grace, like to see us get there. In God's timing, so we don't want to push anything, but we are. I am setting forth the ideas and the concepts that we need to live into as a church. So last week I talked about eldership. An elder is a pastor, and a pastor is an elder. And the word for overseer, elder, and um, pastor are all interchangeable in the Bible. And so I believe, and according to Scripture, this, this biblical pattern is for a church to have multiple elders who work alongside the lead pastor, to build up the saints. Um, so that this is not just a church run by one man. As I said last week, if this church is going to truly grow spiritually and, and be strengthened, it I must decrease. Me personally, I must decrease and other men must increase. Um, because if a church only ever has one elder, lead pastor, that church is only going to grow up to the wisdom and the abilities of that one man. But if you have multiple men who are elders with that pastor, 
then you have a strong base of gifts from which to work. And I, that is exactly the pattern we see in Scripture. We see multiple elders in churches. Now, it's not just enough to say, yes, we need to have multiple elders. It's an, we need to have qualified elders. And an elder is a man, then, of wisdom, maturity, knowledge in the faith, who the congregation sets apart because of those specific gifts. And he is able to teach, and therefore he's set apart by the congregation to assist in the shepherding. This week, we're going to talk about, move on from elders, and we're going to talk about deacons. So read with me in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. This is a very, very important office in the church that supports the elders' work, supports the ministry of the word. And this is also an office that we need to move forward in this church towards. So starting in verse 8, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, after explaining the qualifications for elders, Paul writes to Timothy, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve as well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul lays out the qualifications for deacons. He must be a trustworthy man. He must have a record of faithfulness in the church and faithfulness in the home. Now my goal in this sermon is to clarify what a deacon is. Because especially in Baptist circles, a deacon stands for a pseudo-elder who kind of is behind the scenes operating things. And that's not what a deacon is in Scripture. A deacon is a servant of the church. Um, so I want to clarify what a deacon is. I want to explain the qualifications for a deacon because it's not enough just to serve. You, one must be qualified to serve and represent the church. And then ultimately, what I'm doing is setting forth this office before you. I might be speaking directly to you today to pray and think about serving the church as a deacon if the Lord has put it on your heart and when the time comes. And we are moving in that direction. Members of the church, you're going to be voting on and assessing and calling deacons, just like with elders. And so that's going to happen sooner or later, but that's going to happen in this church by God's grace. And so you need to, this, this is relevant to you, because you're going to be the ones calling, assessing, and voting on deacons. So 
Let's start with what is a deacon? What is a deacon? A deacon is a, if I could just give a definition here, a deacon is a model servant who is appointed, who the church appoints to care for the tangible needs of the church. And through this person's care of the tangible needs of the church, that person is supporting the unity and order of the church and also supporting the elders' focus on the ministry of the word. So let me simplify that. A deacon is a model servant who is appointed to care for the tangible needs of the church, support the uni unity of the church, and support the ministry of the word. The work of deacons is essential in a healthy church because it frees up the elders to focus on what they should focus on. The elders, as we saw last week, they teach and give spiritual direction to the church. Deacons, the word for deacon in the Greek, diakonos, means servant. So the deacons come alongside in an official capacity as servants of the church. serving the tangible needs of the church and thus freeing up the elders to focus on what they focus on. It would not, a healthy church does not have an elder, if, let's put it this way, if the elder or usually the lead pastor is the maintenance man, the lawnmower, the event planner, the fellowship committee, the set up and tear down crew, the teacher, the preparer of the elements for the Lord's Supper, what, what he's doing is he's focusing on things that don't pertain to the ministry of the Word. That doesn't mean he can't help, those, help in those areas. It just means that we've, I've seen many churches where the pastor really is that you do everything and, and the congregation just doesn't do anything and that takes from the ability for other men to step up and serve and it also makes the the pastor frantically running around trying to find out what he should be doing rather than Paul says to Timothy immerse yourself in the work immerse yourself so an elder needs to be a prayerful scripture-saturated, well-read, holy, disciplined man whose focus is single-minded on the ministry of the Word and spiritual direction of the church. But if the elders are all over the place doing other things, he's going to be divided in his attention and that's where deacons come in because deacons are holy men who come alongside the elders and enable the elders to do their job we see this exact pattern what i just articulated to you in acts chapter 6 when the new testament church is being born so would you turn with me to acts chapter 6 and i'd like to verse look at verses 1 through 6 
Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now, the New Testament church was growing. In, in Acts chapter 2, and you know, I love that passage, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. But before that verse, and after Peter's preaching, we read that the Lord added that day about 3,000 souls. So this is a 3,000-person church in Jerusalem now. At least a 3,000-person church. It's growing. And the apostles are tasked to preach the word. But as the church grows, and as the church has, is doing its job in Acts, what the early church really was keen on was taking care of widows who could not take care of themselves. So there was not social security back then. You didn't live off your husband's pension back then. If you were a widow and your husband died, you needed someone to care for you. And the church, the saints of God, stepped up and took care of widows in the early church. And I, I, if that ever happened today, I hope our church would step up if a widow was truly in need and take care of her in the same way. So this isn't just something that happened in the past, is quaint. This is the kind of commitment that the church has. But what was happening was this was becoming a monumental task to distribute the food to the widows and see that all the widows were fed and properly taken care of. So we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint by the Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, that is Hebrew-speaking Jews, who were Christians, these are all Christians, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So maybe the task was overwhelming, maybe there was a language barrier, maybe there was some kind of ethnic um, favoritism, we're not exactly sure, but we do know that the Greek-speaking Christians were being neglected in the daily distribution. Their widows, at least, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, or full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And what happened? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the pattern of elders and deacons being set forth in Acts chapter 6 with the apostles and the seven. Um, again, the church in Jerusalem grew to 3,000 people and they were taking care of widows. So this required a lot of administration, a lot of focus and skill and organization and logistics. And so the seven men were taking, were chosen to take care of those things. And I want you to notice, what do I have? One, two, three things. Number one, those seven that were chosen were chosen to take care of a tangible need in the church. Widows needed the food distributed to them. And they had to organize how that food was taken in, what was being done with the money, perhaps the food was purchased. So there are logistics, there's practical aspects of the church's life that needed to be taken care of. And these seven, these proto-deacons, were chosen to take care of those tangible needs in the church. Secondly, notice that their work was essential for the unity of the church. There was a dispute that was arising. There was a problem in the congregation. And so it's not just as if the deacons were just doing a physical thing. Actually, their work was very spiritually essential to the unity of the church. There was a dispute after the, the seven come in and they do their, their work, the word of God began to increase. And so their work actually supported the unity and the order of the church. Number three, their work supported the ministry of the word. Notice what Peter says. He says, it's not right for us to give up preaching to serve tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is exactly what an elder and elders should focus on. Prayer and the ministry of the word. And I would add to that the oversight, the spiritual direction of the flock. So there, theirs is the teaching, the oversight, and prayerfully becoming the kind of man whom God will speak through. So their work supported the ministry of the word. So that, so those three things, it was tangible work that the deacons were doing, it supported the unity of the church, and it supported the ministry of the word. This passage sets forth the pattern for the work of elders and deacons. Deacons care for tangible needs in a church. And by doing so, they support the unity and order of the church, and they free up the elders to the spiritual oversight and the ministry of the word. Now, both elder and deacon were, became established and recognized offices in the early church, so that we see in Philippians 1, 1, Paul actually addresses these two offices. In Philippians 1, 1, Paul begins his letter like this. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints 
that are in Christ Jesus at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So there's saints, the congregation. They're together with the overseers and the deacons. So do you see that? Do you see those three? Well, two offices alongside a congregation at Philippi. Elders and the deacons. Not elder, but elders and the deacons. Again, I'm tempted to re-explain elders again, but I'm, I'm going to stick to the point here. So, again, we see in Acts chapter 6 the pattern being set forth. We see deacon becoming a, an established and recognizable office in the New Testament church. And so what a deacon is? A deacon is a model servant who the congregation, just like the seven were, who the congregation chooses and appoints to care for the tangible needs of the church, thus facilitating the unity and order of that church and the ministry of the word. Um, but... But a deacon is not just a model servant because of what he does, at least. He's not just a model servant because of what he does. He's a model servant because of who he is. So his modeling is not just a performance. He models not only because of what he does, because of who he is. And so therefore, there are qualifications for men to become deacons in a church. I want to address these qualifications under three headings. Number one, he is trustworthy. Number two, he has a record of faithfulness in the church. Number three, he has a record of faithfulness in the home. So trustworthy, faithfulness in the church, faithfulness in the home. Trustworthy. A deacon must be trustworthy. The Apostle Paul says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So dignified refers to the deacon's demeanor. He's a deacon can be fun, an elder and deacon can be fun to be around. They can be a, someone who's pleasant to be around. They can enjoy a good time. They can laugh heartily. That is, that's a good thing, and we need people like that. But a, a deacon can't be goofy. Neither can an elder. There needs, to be, there needs to be an appropriate maturity to a deacon and an elder. He needs to be respectable and appropriate. It, it, you, it can't be the perpetual youth leader syndrome if you're going to be a deacon, right? Joker, Joker. Yeah, the Joker. I mean, again, it's good to, it's, you know the difference. There's a difference between someone who's just very youthful and silly and immature and someone who is, you know, like a dwarf in Lord of the Rings. Just, he'll go to battle with you, but he eats hearty. He's a deep laugher, laugh, laugher, yeah. You know, so demeanor. There's a maturity to his demeanor. 
in his speech, I think demeanor also includes your speech, not crude joking. Paul says, talks about crude joking being out of place or coarse language being out of place. So when we, when we bring deacons before you, we need to ask the question, does this man's demeanor mark him out to be someone who needs to be reined in? Or does he present himself as a respectable person? Number two, a deacon is not double-tongued. Double-tongued means today we'd, we'd say two-faced. He says one thing to you, he says another thing to another person. Um, he's hypocritical, insincere. You cannot trust his language. He's devious in speech, some versions say. I heard, I saw one commentator say, double-tongued has the idea of speaking with a forked tongue, much like a snake. Devious in speech and can create, just like snakes tend to do in the scripture, create chaos instead of peace. So a deacon cannot speak with a fork. He can't have a forked tongue. A deacon needs to maintain the unity and order of the church. So you can't have a deacon that will stir up division with his tongue. He's not a yes man either. But he doesn't speak with a forked tongue. I remember in my home church, there was, there was um, just an uprising. There was an unhealth, unhealthy coup forming in the congregation. And it was ungodly. And, and it seemed like people were speaking with a forked tongue against some other people. And I remember there was a man in our church who just was respectable his name was Jerome and um, he was a New York City um, detective and just he, he was like the prototypical deacon he's just he was just a solid man I, maybe some of you have met Jerome but uh, he just was respectable and dependable and I remember these men were trying to gather around him to kind of get them on get him on his side. I remember him saying with a clear and loud voice, we're not going there. We're not doing this. We're, we're not stirring up division. And, this, and it, it squelched that coup that day at least. I so respected that because there was a strength and there was a commitment there. That's the kind of man that can serve as a deacon. Someone you can look up to and say, that, that's the kind of man who, if there's an unhealthy uprising in a church, that's the kind of man who will be straightforward about things, not devious or insincere. So, Jerome, I respected very much. Um, not addicted to much wine. This is this is his self-control. Is this man self-controlled? I love this interpretation because it almost sounds like, yeah, he can't be addict too addicted. He can be a little addicted, but not too addicted. That certainly is not the idea of this passage. Um, it's not you can't be too addicted is not the idea. Literally, it means not given to a disproportionate amount of wine. 
Why? Because a deacon should not be a drunkard. He can't be a loose drinker. And so if this person, deacon, is a, or this man or person, is the kind of person who's a loose drinker, who may or may not fall into drunkenness at any given moment, that is a, that is a demonstration of a lack of restraint and self-control. And if a person shows a lack of self-control in his personal life, you wouldn't want to place him over the things of God. Am I right? He's not greedy for dishonest gain. That means there's pure motives. Again, in, in Baptistic circles, for some reason, there's, like, there's this M.O. with people who want to be deacons. They want to come in and they want to kind of rule the pastor because they're the ones that give the money or something. And they've been here the longest. <laughs> I, I get a kick out of that. I would never have that. That's why I don't know how much anyone gives in this church. So I treat you all the same. He cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. He needs to be a man who serves not to attain rank, but from out of a true heart of service. So if someone is going to have the office of, have an office in a church, have the office of deacon, but have an official position in a church, he must be a man who is upright in character and trustworthy, dignified, not double-tongued, self-controlled, and pure motivations, not greedy for dishonest gain. So, deacons serve not merely out of what they can do, but out of who they are. It's not, it's not the person who gives the most money in the church, not the person who's the best with tools, not the person who works at a janitor somewhere else so he has a bunch of janitorial supplies that he can donate to the church. It is somebody who serves out of not just his abilities, but who Christ has made him to be. Now, read verse 11 with me, please. If you would look down in your Bible and read verse 11 with me. You know what? Verse 10, actually. I'm sorry. And then... Oh, you know what? Let's say verse 10. Let's, let's do verse 11. Verse 11 in the ESV. Does anyone have a new American standal, standard Bible here? All right, we got one. John back there. Jane. Okay. So this is going to sound strange then to you. Who has an ESV here? Who has a different translation than the two I just mentioned? Is there a King James crowd right there? <laughs> <laughs> Holding it down. <laughs> All right. Now, the ESV says in verse 11, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, verse 11 has been a, a, there's a question about verse 11 because the ESV has translated it and other translations have translated it, their wives. 
the my NSV crowd, you're going to read something like women also, I believe, in the NASB. That's because in the Greek, the word translated here as wives is gune. And it could be the word for both, it is the word for both wife and woman. So in verse 212, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's the word gune, from gune, gunekas. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Same word. But the context shows that Paul's not just referring to wives. He's referring to females. So in this passage, the question is, does gune refer to wife or female? When he says women likewise. And if it refers to wife, then what Paul is doing is he's giving a qualification for a deacon's wife. So not only should deacons be like this, but... Their wives should be like this. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation is he's not giving qualifications for a deacon's wife. He's giving qualifications for female deacons. Female deacons. Now, I have wrestled... I'll tell you, this passage has caused me a lot of angst in the past month or so. But I have wrestled with this greatly, not just in the past month, but over a couple of years, back and forth with this idea. Um, there are going to be good men who believe that Paul is giving qualifications for deacons' wives. And they have reasons for thinking so. In Acts chapter 6, the apostle says, Choose from you seven men, full of good repute. And in the passage we're reading right now, this qualification comes right in the middle of the qualifications for deacons, it seems. So they would say this refers to male deacons and their wives. This refers to a qualification for a deacon's wife. Because if someone's going to be a deacon, their wife is going to be involved in, in their ministry some, to some degree, though not officially. So I think, I think there are strong arguments for deacons' wives. However, um, I, I have leaned towards it meaning female deacons. So right now where I am, I believe that Paul is giving a qualification for female deacons. Let me give you five reasons why. Number one, the passage literally reads women also. So, let them serve as deacons, verse 10, and if they prove themselves blameless, women also must be dignified. The word there, which is in the ESV, their wives, the word there is not in the Greek. It just says, women also. So, um, the ESV has added there, added that possessive, because the, through the interpretive decision that this refers to deacons' wives, but literally in the Greek it says, gune likewise, women also. Um, Paul could have used the possessive there, 
their wives likewise, their women also, but he doesn't use a possessive there. It's just women also. So literally, wives is read in to the passage. It's an interpretive decision. But literally, it's just women likewise. Second, as I see it, it would be very odd um, if the wife of a deacon would have qualifications but not the wife of an elder. That seems very odd to me because the elder is the spiritual leader in the church. And it would be very odd if Paul gives qualifications for, for the wives of deacons but not the wives of elders. Number three, we seem to have an example in Scripture of a female deacon. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans was sent to Rome at the hands of a woman named Phoebe. And Paul, in verse 1, says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a diaconos of the church at Centria. Now, it's debated, is that referring to an official title, or is that just saying that Phoebe's a servant of the church, just using that in a non-technical, loose way? Uh, it seems to me that this is an official title, because it's not just a servant of the church, it's a servant of the church at Centria, of a specific church. So I think this could and should be read as a deacon of the church at Centria. Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centria. Phoebe, a diaconos of the church at Centria. So it seems that we have an example of a female deacon. We could have an example of a female deacon in Scripture. Fourthly, and this is might be the most profound one. Nowhere in Scripture does it forbid women to serve a deacon, as deacons. Even if this did refer to deacons' wives, nowhere in Scripture does it forbid women to serve as deacons. So in his book, creatively titled Deacons, Matt Smethurst writes the following. Unlike elders, oh, and... I'm sorry, so nowhere in scripture is it forbidden that women serve as deacons. And number five, deacons don't exercise authority or teach in virtue of their office. So when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, that's not what a deacon's called to do. They're not called to exercise authority. They're not the spiritual leaders in that sense. They're model servants but they're not the spiritual leaders. They're not called to teach or exercise authority in virtue of their office. So, Matt Smethurst writes, unlike elders, deacons are not charged with shepherding the flock like elders are. I'm sorry, I keep hitting this thing. Unlike deacons, elders are, unlike elders, deacons are not charged with shepherding the flock like elders. Unlike elders, Deacons need not stand ready to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it, Titus 1.9, like elders are. Unlike elders, 
Deacons will not answer to God for the spiritual welfare of the individual soul, Hebrews 13, 17, like elders are. Never once do we read a verse like, be subject to the deacons, 1 Peter 5, 5, or obey your deacons and submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17, for such language is exclusively applied to the office of elder. Deacon is not an office of spiritual authority, and therefore naturally opened to qualified women. Why forbid what the Bible doesn't? So that's Matt Smethurst's take on that, and I, it seems to be reasonable to me that if you understand deacons as having an authority, a spiritual authority, then you should not put women as deacons. But if we understand it biblically as servants of the church, who serve an official capacity to do a specific task, then it seems that qualified women could fulfill that rule. Now, with that said, this church needs to have men it as elders and deacons before we would ever call a woman to de the diaconate because there could be a, an unhealthy what's the word I'm looking for? Jezebel. Pardon? Jezebel? Jezebel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the word I was looking for but alright ratio an unhealthy here's the thing the church today is so feminized because for some reason the men are always passive men are so passive and women seem to take hold of spiritual things more easily and so I could see churches taking this interpretation that I just offered to you and say well all the females come in and it just be the pastor and female deacons, and it sets forth an unhealthy representation of what the church actually believes. So, in this church, we are going to have elders established first, and male deacons, and then we will broach the topic of calling qualified female deacons. And I believe that's where we should head in this church. But first, the men need to step up. First the men. We don't want to facilitate that poor representation like other churches have had. If you have another idea, talk to me about it. Convince me otherwise. So, that said, a deacon, whether that deacon is male or female, must be dignified, sober, or Yes, dignified, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. The women also have the same standards. Um, they must be sober-minded, faithful in all things, dignified. So they're held to the same standards. Now, male deacons, specifically, male deacons need to show a record of faithfulness in the church and the home. Verse 9 says, 
they must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves faithful. So they must hold to the faith with a clear conscience, the mystery of the faith. Mystery of the faith, when Paul says mystery, he means the gospel. He means a secret that has now been revealed, something that God had kept, has kept hidden, but now is revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a deacon must hold to the mystery. They can't be wobbly in their faith. They need to be strong in their faith. Now, if you look at the men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6, these men were full of the Spirit. And Stephen was preaching and was stoned to death because of his powerful preaching. So these are not just weak, limp-wristed men. These are strong men who are preaching the Word. Not in virtue of their office, but because they were also evangelists. So they need to have doctrinal in this church, if we're going to call a deacon, they must have a firm and clear faith and testimony. They must hold to our statement of faith. They must be a member of this church and committed. And they must also show faithfulness to this church. Paul says, let them serve as deacons or and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove, prove themselves blameless. So, the, the order is, are you the person who comes early, sets up, who locks arms with the church, who is willing to serve in any capacity? Then you can call that man and say, that man has a servant's heart. That's the kind of person that would qualify as a deacon. You don't say, hey, can you be a deacon and do this, this, and that. But be hands-on, serve as you can, and as God has gifted you, then let them serve as deacons. All right. Um, a record of faithfulness in the home. A deacon must also have a record of faithfulness in the home. Let deacons, and I, this is male deacons, certainly. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, managing their children and their own households well. So a one-woman man or a man of one woman, like we saw with elders, means not a polygamist, not someone who runs to concubines, not someone committing adultery, not someone who has had a divorce, and not somebody who has a wandering eye. He's a one-woman kind of man. And he's a faithful family leader, managing their children and their own households well. He shows faithfulness in his family. He's a spiritual leader in his household. His children are obedient. He sets the spiritual tone for his household. Not just out of performance, but he's the kind of man who does family devotions. He's the kind of man who prays for his household. That's what a deacon is called to do. He's called to be a faithful family leader. Lastly, verse 13. Although deacon is a servant position, what did Jesus say? The greatest among you must, what? Be your servant. 
So the diaconate, deacons are, is a high and honorable position, even though they're not spiritual leaders in the church, in the sense that they have responsibility spiritually for the oversight of the flock. These people, th this is an honorable office. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacon work should be held in honor. It's not just a sanctified janitor, although they might do janitorial work, but it's that's the kind of work that Christians hold in honor. And what does Paul say that those parts of the body which are held in honor, we, we clothe and we protect even more. And so there are parts of our body. The deacons are very often the humble, the lowly, and therefore we lift them up because of their humility and their willingness to serve. So at this point in our church's life, men, I'm thinking about you and... I am calling you to examine yourself. Do you have a deacon's heart? Do you have the gift of service? Has God put it into your heart to serve? Then consider aiming for a deaconship because this is actually a spiritual gift. In Romans 12, 6-8, Paul says that we have gifts that differ according or gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use these gifts, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, if you give, give with generosity. Know that it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you exhort, exhort by the word of God. If you teach, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. If you lead, do it with zeal. And if you serve, serve with the strength and through the gifting that God has supplied church you're going to be called upon to select deacons in the future and I want to say in the nearer future than the later future so church you need to hold men to this standard I have now talked about elders and deacons and we could say a lot more but this, these are sermons, not seminary classes. So what I want to put, also put in your lay before you men is, oh, this doesn't work. I, um, the way that we're going to get elders and deacons is, is if elders and deacons are, for lack of a better word, trained and built up intentionally. So, I have been working on something like a curriculum for the past few months. 
And what I would like to do is start a men's theological focus group. And we're going to start meeting out once a month. And we're going to read books together. We're going to pray and fast together. Uh, we're going to hone your doctrine, teach you how to prepare a Bible study and or a sermon, give you opportunities to preach and teach. And this is going to be the way that, this is the best way I know how to train up elders is by learning and then having you do it. So if I've talked to you before about possible eldership, I want you to be there if you can. Um, this is open to all men as well. Even if you say, well, maybe eldership is not for me. I'm not sure about deaconship right now. I still want you to come and learn and be trained. Perhaps you could be a teacher in this church as it grows. So, men's theological focus group. Um, this is either going to start in the first week of December or the first week of January. We're going to meet once a month to get started. There will be not voluminous reading, but there will be reading. It's going to be a, a commitment, and then there will be opportunities to to um, minister. So that's where we're going as a church. Any questions? We good? All right, Jasmine. No questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. Praise God. I am. I am in good spirits because our church is has good men and women. And this is a it is a growing church, but we need to grow the right way. Like we don't have a building, but perhaps it's good we don't have a building. Cuz what would we do when we had it? We need to have firm foundations first. Before before God gives us the gift of maybe a meeting place, let's Let's establish ourselves according to God's word first as a church. So, men, think about it. Pray about this. Talk with your wives about this. Possible eldership and deaconship. We're not just going to throw you into that position. You're going to be trained into that position. And we're going to build each other up in that way. I need to stop talking. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you very much.